Good evening. This is uh, Dr. Darian Jones. Thank you for joining All Things Us, Unapologetic, Unafraid. All Things Us tackles the issues and more that matter to the melanated to empower, entertain, and liberate. This is our first pilot episode, and today we're joined by Mel Rose of Afro EDU, founder and creator. Um, we're colleagues in this work together, and I recently heard her giving a um, one-four about black womanism. And so just wanted to spend some time this, this evening talking to her about black womanism as she challenged me challenged me on being a part of, of the patriarchy. So welcome, and tell us a little about yourself, Mel Rose. Thank you very much. Good evening, uh, Dr. Jones. It's a pleasure and honor to be on your uh, first uh, podcast. So, uh, Definitely um, looking forward to our conversation this evening. A little bit about me. Um, definitely a uh, uh, an abolitionist and a freedom. <laughs> I wouldn't say a freedom fighter, but uh, I'm looking to move move us closer towards freedom um, in any way that I can. And obviously, um, what that looks like um, as we all work in professional spaces, it, it has. To change and morph into different things. So, um, certainly a delight to be with you. Um, background is uh, in media, race, gender studies, you know, African American studies. Um, you know, so this is what I kind of breathe, live, and talk on a daily basis. So, looking forward to a deeper conversation with you. Well, thank you. So, let's just jump right into that because, like I said, this is our, our trial podcast, and thank you for being um, our first up. But I thought this was an important conversation that's going to kind of set off the rest of uh, All Things Us. So tell me a little bit about, you know, what this abolitionist work means to you, as well as a little bit about, you know, how you define black womanism. So the, the work itself and, and the actual uh, snares and traps of oppression uh, manifest, they lay manifest everywhere. And the systemic ways in which that shows up in our daily life um, is something that we don't always recognize. And so I think part of my work is just revealing and making myself and others aware of the ways in which um, systems uh, seek to oppress those of us um, of black and melanated skin, obviously. So um, for me, you know, we talked and Womanism, to me, um, is the intersection of not just feminism, but we have to take into account race and class and how those intersections um, have us show up different in society and the way we're valued and what what things are, um, are, 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 are conflicting, you know, um, in, in society. And so why I just can't be a feminist um, because I don't know, and we can talk about that further, but I don't know that a black woman's femininity has ever been um, seen or validated um, as, in broader society. So it's, it's deeper than um, just being uh, a feminist. I mean, as a black woman, you've got to deal with misogyny. You have to deal with racism and what that means um, and where you're, you're, where you're placed in in society, so 
um, you know, we can we can go further, but um, I don't want to make this a purely academic discussion. You know, I want to put it in simple terms and place it where people can digest it and 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 carry it with them. You know, so right? It's, it's it's more than just academics for me. Right. So along those same lines, that, that's a perfect segue. Um, I remember one of our early conversations, and I've always thought I was, not always, but but in my adult life, as I became more studied and read and explored more of the world, thought I was more open to all people and, and all thoughts. And uh, I remember that first conversation when, when I did the, the Scooby-Doo, I was like, huh? Um, I was advocating about single gender, a single gender school, a black male school, and you were like, there you go with that patriarchy again, or something to that effect. And so talk a little bit about that, because it's really challenged me to um, evaluate my own part of the patriarchy, patriarchy and my own, own biases around that and being mindful and more intentional. So I'm trying to shift more into allyship, if not full co-conspirator around that. So talk a little bit about that to us. No, absolutely, and I think still sharp and still in many ways. And so, you know, after we had that talk, I certainly reflected as well, and I understand the argument for the single gender. I understand the, the need for uh, sacred spaces and for conversations to be had among men and boys. So I, I do fully understand that, but I think where I come from is a place of... Um, of uh, obviously allyship, collaboration building, capacity building is that young boys and young girls need to learn how to deal with each other, right? Because as we look at young people, they're the future <laughs> families, they're the future structures of society. So to think that we only want to talk to boys um, as if the other half of humanity um, does not need that type of resource as well, I mean, it's, you know, we need to come together for, for the greater good. So I think that very much uh, young men and young women need to learn to socialize and how to treat each other and see each other's humanity first and foremost. And so, you know, I, I know we talked a lot about, you know, you talking about boys' programs. And, you know, I, I gave you an example of a program that I saw where there were like 100 young boys and they loaded them up on buses and they had them in suits and they took them to a fancy restaurant. And then it was almost anticlimactic because you've got these boys. Then I'm saying, well, then where are the girls? Where do they learn to come out in society and deal with young young women and girls who potentially would serve as their, you know, future wives and, and, and colleagues and, and things of that nature. So we have to learn how to coexist in, 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 in better ways. And so part of that is like, okay, at a young age, bring young boys and young girls together um, so that they know that this person here is, is, a, is a partner. You know, when we're talking about breaking down systems in every movement, in every period of history, women have played a huge role in <laughs> the liberation movement so you know we cannot uh lose uh that that uh focus on and, and so just having these boy programs 
Um, to me, I under, like I said, I understand the need for young men uh, and boys to to have you know private conversations. I understand that, but again, we have to make sure that those conversations are not simply passing on misogyny from one generation to the other, where women are talked about as objects, where women are talked about as you know, um, kind of like. I, I, I don't know, just, just uh, again, seeing the full humanity of womanhood and girlhood. And so that's important for me. So make it practical for me. So I'm a dad trying to do this with five, you know, two two boys, three girls. What does that look like so that I'm, I'm self-checking about um, not lessening their full humanity, you know, in our family so that they carry that out into the world with them and how to be, you know, fully themselves without what we often talk about a lot of time is holding so much of ourselves back to make other people feel comfortable, whether it's men or, you know, in employment situations or whatever, but but how do, how do I model that better for them as, as their father? As a father, you know, I feel, I feel confident in, in in the younger generations. I feel like they're more emotionally intelligent and self-aware than many, than quite honestly, people our age and our generation. So I think a lot of um, the, the, the social responsibility and just the exposure that kids have now makes them a little bit more aware than even we are. Um, but, I mean, I, I think it's, it's, it's checking your biases, you know, it's, it's actually um, just looking at, at the media, for for instance, and looking at examples of the way in which black women and girls are talked about and understanding, and I've said this to you before, is that if you as a black man practice misogyny or if you have a hatred towards women, then, you know, you can't sit here and say, um, talk about racism and, and, and talk about discrimination and anti-blackness and then you and yourself internalize a hatred towards women if you do those things then you and yourself are engaging in white supremacy like you are furthering a system of oppression um, towards women so you have to kind of it just takes a real um, deep dive into looking into what you really think about women and, you know I mean it, it, it's ironic because I, I say this a lot I'm like you listen to music and you watch popular culture and you, you hear a lot of musicians talk, talk about how they love their mama and their mama held them down artists are you know products of single family homes where their mothers made everything happen for them so then you question where does this hatred for women come from and then uh, quite honestly you have women who will uh, kind of uh, have internalized that as well so you know, you have women who raise boys, um, you know, to be anti-woman as well. It's almost like voters who vote against their their own interests, right? Mm-hmm. As a woman, you kind of uh, uh, um, bolstering patriarchy is, is is working right against you. You're working against yourself. So, I mean, what it looks like in, in, in everyday life is examining the imagery that's all around us, uh, it, it, examining the language that we use when we describe women. You know, I talk about, you know, femininity, and, and I'm, I, I question whether black femininity, femininity has ever 
even been acknowledged. Like, you look at movies and this damsel in distress, and don't get me wrong because that's not what I think women aspire to be, and I definitely don't think that's what black women aspire to, but when you look at popular culture and and what society tells us are damsels or women that are worthy to be saved, it, it has never looked like us. We've never been seen as feminine. Um, I mean, you can look at plenty of tropes and plenty of stereotypes out there about women, the strong black woman, the angry black woman, the, the mammy, the Jezebel, the sapphire, but talking about just the femininity of a woman, it, it's never, it's always been juxtapositions against hypersexuality or asexuality. It's just never a, a, a holistic, fully human image of, of what a black woman is. And I think that we, as people, both black men and women have internalized some of that. And so what we're seeing now is, is a part of <laughs> of just the hyper, just hyper imagery is all I can say, um, where our, our very humanity, which has always been questioned, is, is front and center now. Yeah, there was a lot in that. At the end, it made me think about when you were talking about that was about how our, our women are never seen as, as feminine or in their femininity. Um, recently, the comments, even again, resurging about um, most folks, forever president's wife, and I don't want to get in tr trouble with Barack about how beautiful I think his wife is, um, as well as brilliant. But Michelle, the comments around her that, that are always ascribing her to look a certain way, um, as opposed to how she would she would be viewed if she was other. Absolutely. But then if we're honest, and these are the conversations that, again, when we talk about private conversations and things not needing to be front and center, and certainly not for um, for company. I think. I mean, when we when we get real, and I think a lot of our conversations are done. In, in the midst of company where it should not be open open front and center for um, discussions. But when we talk about Michelle, you know, and I mean, these are not things that we haven't heard our own men say. You know, we got to get real about that. Like, we hear our own men describe women that don't fit a mold of, quite honestly, Eurocentric beauty standards. If, if they don't, we, we talk about our, each other that way. So colorism and, and shapism and all these things are, are things where, you know, um, it's, a, it's a part of a bigger, a bigger system of, of hegemony, I will say. But, um, you know, we, we, we talk about those things and, and what we value is beautiful. Um, in this society, again, we've internalized a lot, and so we have to check ourselves on where that comes from, and we have to call each other out when we see that. Um, but again, it needs to be not a cancel culture kind of thing, but we need to have these conversations about um, our beauty standards and, and setting our own and making sure we have our own and understand our own aesthetic and understand what beauty is um, for us as people. Um, as black people. So, you know, again, those are conversations that I feel like you as a, as a man, you have to be honest with other men. Um, you know, I hear young boys talk a lot, and again, Eurocentric beauty standards are, quite honestly, wreaking havoc and just detrimental to the self-esteem of women and, and the way in which men see the beauty of, of our own women. So, I mean, these are just conversations that I see 
and observations that I'm making um, where we've got to resist and reject a lot of that you know so yeah okay last question around this topic what 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 role does roles play in that um i hear a lot of conversations in in my circles in my groups when when we try to elevate our consciousness i always get the or i even say it myself but a man is supposed to but a woman is supposed to um, mm-hmm. What role does that play into what you're talking about? Should should we abandon those roles altogether? What does that look like? I think the roles in which we even discuss and uh, imagine ourselves in are part of a European standard. I think that if we talk of look at it, who we are as collective people um, and the notion of family from an Afrocentric standpoint we would abandon those roles. Be quite, quite, quite honestly, the roles that black men and women served in slavery, I mean, there there was a lot of fluidity in roles. So it wasn't even what you may think a man did or a woman did. I mean, quite honestly, those roles, and, and then when you look at what the family was and what it meant in, in indigenous cultures and African cultures, like, those roles, we, we had segregated roles, but it wasn't this nuclear family where the men do this. It was an expanded communal family where aunts, uncles, and, and, and there was an extended family where people blended, you know, with, around a groups of families. So the way we look at things as nuclear and individual is not even, you know, really the real goalpost, in my opinion. I mean, so again, the role of, if we're even talking about our existence in this country, I mean, there were not, the roles of men and women were different. I mean, women didn't have protection under marriage. Men could not own property to actually, um, you know, bestow upon a, a wife their, you know, any property. So these type of notions of what men and women do, it's convoluted, and I think we have it kind of, kind of mixed up, honestly. So, you know, again, shelter wasn't provided by slave husbands. And women could not, slave women couldn't be protected under the law from rape and sexual assault. I mean, so when you look at different roles, um, yes, women play child-rearing roles historically, you know, whether you're looking at a a plantation life or if you're looking at, at African life or indigenous life, yeah, women play child-rearing roles, but when we look at the way men and women came together, um, I think we're using a Western ideal and standard to to fit into, and I think that that, in and of itself, can be faulty. Gotcha. And, and on your last piece, I will say a, a part of my own evolution is, you know, I, I thought, um, particularly with, with my first two, um, that I was, you know, a, a good dad, if not a great dad, you know, never missed an event, always showing up for doctor's appointments and all that kind of stuff. Um, but it wasn't until baby boy that the roles really switched and I became stay-at-home dad just because of my schedule and all that kind of stuff. And having, you know, a newborn with teenagers that even my own awareness of what that primary caregiver role that is traditionally given to women 
um, is really all about. Just it just changed my whole like they're just the most underpaid people on earth, you know, because it's, it's different between showing up and always being there and making the appointment, setting the appointments, making sure everybody's where they need to be, including the big adult, um, and, and making sure everything, it's just a whole different reality that by the time I was able to go back to work full time, um, I was ready to get up out of the house. As much as I loved being there Absolutely. with them, it was the hardest job I've ever had in my life. Like I was pulling my hair out, just literally trying to oh, do yeah. my stuff and manage them. So um, I really see a lot of what you're saying around, you know, I think the value because women traditionally do it, the men who are in charge don't place real value on what the real worth is. Almost kind of like teachers because, you know, some 91% of teachers are, are female. Um, that the men who quote unquote are in charge elsewhere don't put real value in that job whereas if 90% of them were men I think teachers would automatically be paid more tomorrow so absolutely, absolutely. and I just you know and, and what I will say again what you said early on is it's about allyship and so at no point would I say um, and, and I, I would never say that black men don't step up because you know the research is out there now that black men, black fathers, are some of the most involved in their children's day-to-day life. You know, we've got black men that are really there for it. So this narrative uh, that black men are absentee, even if they're not in the home, they're involved. And the research shows that, you know, black men show up and do the homework and, and, and do uh, soccer dad and, 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 you know, they're there um, for their children. So, you know, moving that narrative forward, um, is, is important so you know it's it's those roles kind of blending now because people understand just how much and how much of a the, the hardest job is parenthood and motherhood that's a, that's a hard job and so you know men now more than ever are doing more you know in the household um, and understanding family as the unit you know to get it, it done because it's a non-stop job it's something that you do around the clock so absolutely I think the narrative that black men don't show up you know like I said that needs to kind of we need to um, you know reject that idea because we know that 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 is fundamentally not true and that we know that um, even if you're not in the household with your children that you know black men play a role in in the lives of their children so um, absolutely and you know one thing I will also, one thing I want to say too, though, while it's on my mind is when you ask as a man what you can do, I would encourage you to have more men <laughs> refer to women as women. I want them to, in their lexicon, use the word woman. And I want them to shift away from saying female. And I want them to say woman because a woman is a female human being where there's a female of all species. You got a female dog. You got female cats, you got female boats and lions, right? But when we're talking about a woman, a woman is a female human being. So if we use the word woman more, um, that would bring some more humanity to our discussion. And again, we as people need to do a better job of calling people by their names um, and using less derogatory names in general. We all need to do better with that in our culture and what we see in the media. But using woman instead of female is like one thing that I really want people do a better job of in general but that's just one of my soapbox items and um, 
I just think that that would help realize our humanity a little bit more, you know? Right, and I, and I think you hit on it, and we're going to make a slight transition so we can wind up, but it, one of my goals, I think, in this in this latter part of my life is to do whatever I can do to help completely disrupt and change all of these single narratives about people of color that are fundamentally flawed at their best and undergirded by just sheer racism and white supremacy at their worst. You know, whether it's the, the father thing, the name thing, you know, there was a teacher today in an AP class, I think I shared it with you earlier, you know, convincing, trying to convince these black kids that the, the N-word was not racist and wasn't made in racism, it was just about ignorant people. Um, Gaslighting. Right. Yep. And just the other stuff we do that has just become factual when it's complete fabrication, you know, even from day one that, you know, African Americans are lazy. How do, how do you become lazy and you work for free for some 270 plus years and, and still today in 2021 make roughly, what is it, 73 cents on the dollar? Right. But you're absolutely. lazy, you know. Um, so absolutely. And not to mention, you've got, you've got, you've got uh, publications like National Geographic and, that come out and, and admit and you've got South African governments to come out and say, we, we purposely, we wage psychological warfare on you. We played these games. We, 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 we purposely made the darker races of people look more inhuman, inhumane, right? They, they did this and they admitted these things. And I mean, this is like you said, doing that work and, and making sure that you interrupt these, these type of systems. So I commend you for what you're doing and I certainly uh, look forward to working um, with you on that. So, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. But I think where we are now is a, is in a place of, of reckoning and, and revelation, honestly. Like, things are being revealed and covers and sheets are being um, removed off of a lot of things. So, yeah, not to cut you off. So. No, that's perfect, and that's that's a great yeah. that's a great um, to my closing question, which is which is a little different, but in the in the same vein as we talk about narratives and and how stories are uh, spent. Um, a couple weeks ago, we were in you know having a conversation in general, and someone was speaking about the events of January sixth, and had a totally different interpretation and. Just speak a little bit about what your reflection on on that was as as we come to the end of our our episode today. I mean, the events of January six don't surprise me. They don't even shock me. Um, you know, I, I um, listen to a lot of pundits talk about this, and you know, the gentleman's name escapes me. He is the chair at. Princeton, I believe he's the chair of their um, of their African American Studies uh, department, and what he Mr. God eloquently, yep. yes, yes, he um, what he what he said quite concisely is that the facts of the case, just like in with Emmett Till, um, the facts that no no one was concerned with the facts. So we predict that the, the impeachment um, managers presented facts. They saw the terrorists. They saw the insurrectionists, the violence that they wreaked, uh, you know, on the Capitol. 
And none of that mattered. I mean, none of the, the facts mattered. You know, ultimately, this was about preservation of hegemonic forces, and I've said that before, making sure that the status quo remains the status quo. So um, him getting off and, and, and being acquitted is not a surprise. Um, I think that the hypocrisy is on um, his front and center right now. So I'm, I'm thankful for that. You know, I'm thankful to see the hypocrisy front and center um, for for the world to see. Um, so, um, yeah, you specifically yeah. made a comment too, which is what I just want to draw attention to before we close out um, around the impact that has on you specifically reference children, children of color, but people who just may not understand all the facts as they are and seeing that hypocrisy and, and not necessarily being able to reconcile that. Could you speak on that for... Um, oh, the, uh, yeah. Well, I think we were speaking about the racial, racial trauma, and I think specifically at that time I was referencing um, the um, young lady who was basically... Um, she, she was unconscious at the uh, hands of a school police officer, resource officer. She yes. was, you know, yeah. And so I, I talked about that. I talked about a young woman who was body slammed, I believe, in Columbia, South Carolina by a resource officer. Whether, you know, we've had cases in North Carolina the same way. You've seen women that are have basically had their children pulled out of their hands at the, you know, by police officers. So the racial trauma that, um, you know, children face right now I just felt like we need the proper toolkit and we actually as the adults need to equip our young people with the the, the confidence, the tools the self-awareness to navigate these waters and I think part of doing that is helping them understand who they are more robustly right, and teaching them uh, a full history going beyond the 28 days of black history um, going behind on Harriet Tubman and Rosa Parks and like understanding and making sure that they live black history and understand that greatness every day and put context to things so they understand where we are and so we can use January 6th as a great study of, of society and, and sociology and, and help them understand how to navigate but yeah, certainly I mean our, our children are living with racial trauma inflicted on them by the very folks who are supposed to protect and serve them. But we know that the police was born out of the slave catching. And so we know that we know who police typically serve. And this isn't an anti-police statement by far, again, but we, we have to make sure that our children are equipped to navigate and to understand who is who out here and, and, and um, you know, just and, 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 and just be equipped, like I said, with, with the proper toolkit. Um, and, and that's all I can say is that, you know, there's some real trauma, and this is gaslighting at its highest um, to have these folks actually get away with what they're getting away with. Um, but yet when our women and, and, and men are killed in the streets at the hands of um, police officers, we're told to to stop kneeling, we're told to stop protesting, and yet these people actually took the life of, of, of their, you know, a fellow human being, um, all while screaming "Blue Lives Matter." So it's, it's an interesting um, dichotomy, and it's an interesting just 
conflicting uh, message that's out here uh, and, a, and a huge double standard, but we know that. So where well, we go from here. Yep. I think, and I think I shared with you too the conversation around um, the picture of the youth poet laureate, and not only the the just Twitter backlash of of her having to defend and define her title, um, but that you know I was told that you know pictures of her are a little bit too political. You know, not not her representing anybody, but just the pictures of her are a little too political. And my pushback was, but we constantly show images when we're talking about poverty or crime or whatever that's negative. There are constant images of brown and black children. But a, a, a black excellence all of a sudden is too political, and so it's, it's too political. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, on this single narrative thing that we got to continue to work on. Well, I do want to thank you for for joining us and all that you said. It's a, it's a lot here to digest and to think about. Um, I'm glad you're in this work. I am glad to to know you to help uh, enlighten me, so to make me a better human, um, so that I can can help other people become more enlightened. So give you the end to close it out with saying thing and then I'll, I'll finish up. Likewise. Thank you very much, Dr. Jones, for having me today. It's certainly an honor and pleasure, like I said before. And um, anytime that I can speak to these things and we can put our heads together and figure out solutions, um, I'm certainly available to do that. Um, much success on the podcast. And um, I just look forward to doing this, this work. It's a tireless work. And um, anyway, in any space that we actually can use to to um, be an agent for change, you know, I'm certainly down for that. So um, I will just be first there and just many much gratitude to you. Well, thank you, Mel Rose, and, and the organization again is Afro-EDU. Um, we appreciate you being here today. This closes out All Things Us, Unapologetic and Unafraid. All Things Us tackles the issues that matter to the memory, empower, entertain, and